So I was away last Sunday. Uh, I was in Tuscaloosa, Alabama for the Alabama LSU game. We took nine sixth grade boys and seven dads, and the final request from the moms before we left was, please bring them all back. Uh, why was that? Well, here's what happened last year. We went to the Alabama LSU game in Baton Rouge, and um, we had a good time. We told the boys, no matter who wins, do not rush the field. You remember LSU beat Alabama last second, two-point conversion. Half of them rushed the field. Um, one of them got in the crowd and got so scared that he borrowed a random cell phone and he called his mom and he said, Mom, I'm scared. I'm on the field at LSU and I can't find Dad. I'm not going to tell you who that was. It was not mine, though. So the moms just said, please bring them all back, okay? We did. We did. But we had a lot of fun. Alabama won, roll tide, I'm an Alabama lifer. Um, but, but I usually let you know where I am when I'm gone because you heard a great message from Farrell, but I also want you to know this. I wear multiple hats like many of you. Minister, yes. Preacher, yes. Father, yes. Husband, yes. And, and all of these roles are really important. You know, my children are growing up fast, and I don't want to miss experiences like that um, because my kids will be off and gone to college before I know it, and many of you know what that feels like. Um, and, and then we sit around wondering, where did the time go? And, and did we make the most of it? Did we savor it? Did we live it? Were we too stressed and, and, and distracted to enjoy every stage along the way? Those are important questions, right? Time presses on. Kids grow up before our very eyes. Somebody famously said, the days are long, those of you with young kids, but the years are fast. And how true that is. We're now in a sermon series on Philippians called How to Build a Life. Farrell gave a great message last week on what it looks like to live the soulful life that she's talking about in her new book. The things that we need to do to make sure that we are tending to our souls and growing in our spiritual life. Uh, she focused on the text that we read again this morning that says, uh, Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or have already reached my goal, but I press on to, to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. How are you doing with pressing on in life? Do you find yourself living in the present or dwelling on the past? Are there things that have happened in the past that you wish were different? Things that may keep you stuck in the past? Or have you been able to let them go? So many people can't get over things from their past. And so they live with a lot of guilt and shame and grief and then it, it keeps them from being able to enjoy the life that they have left. But life can only be lived one day at a time. Remember what Jesus said, Matthew 6, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring troubles of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now, if we live in the present, which is all we have, by the way, we are well aware that there are challenges that we have to face. In fact, 
when we started this series, a question that I asked a number of people and, and groups was this, what bothers you most about our culture and the current state of society? And when you ask a question like that, you, you're gonna get a lot of different answers, but here's a little bit of what I heard, okay? People said, everything is political and everybody wants to know which team you're on. Social media is out of control and it's ruining many lives. People are so obsessed with posting about their lives that they forget to simply live their lives. And now we had a speaker who said, we can't put that genie back in the bottle. The media drives fear and division. Since the news is 24 hours a day, the media tells you the news and what you should think about the news and what's going on. People are too selfish and self-centered, only thinking about themselves and their own interests. Whatever happened to service and sacrifice and loving your neighbor? Civility seems gone. Lost are the days of disagreeing with somebody and still respecting them as a fellow human being. Christianity is waning in our culture, but both Christians and non-Christians, if we're honest, have contributed to the moral rot of society. In fact, Jesus wouldn't even recognize many Christians today. Fear and anxiety is now out of control and it's most evident in our children and the way that they behave. The growing gap between the haves and the have-nots is driving things like crime and, and it leads to other problems in a culture. And then people also said alcohol and drug addiction seems to be ruining marriages and families and friendships. People are addicted because they're trying to cope with their hurt and their pain. And that's how they do it. These are just some of the things that make living life in the present challenging. But guess what? That's okay, because Philippians reminds us, remember, that we get to choose our attitude in life and how we're going to respond. We, we, we don't choose our circumstances. We don't always choose what happens to us, but we get to choose how we're going to respond at any given time. Now, with this series, I've, I've recommended a number of books trying to help you with your Christmas shopping a little bit early, right? So, Farrell's book, Soulful, that just came out, I recommend that. Arthur Brooks's book, How to Build a Life, written with Oprah, I recommend that. And today I'm gonna add one more to that list, and it's David Brooks's new book called How to Know a Person. For many years now, he has written about division, polarization, a lack of moral leadership, and the way that we treat one another in the culture. And so in this research for this particular book, he's traveled across the United States and he's met and he's listened to many different types of people. And he says this, there is one skill that lies at the heart of any healthy person, family, school, community organization, or society. The ability to see someone else deeply and to make them feel seen to accurately know another person, to let them feel valued and heard and understood. Yet, we humans don't do this well. I think he's right, but why? Most research now shows that joy and happiness in life, and we all want more of that, right? Comes from our relationships. But if our relationships are unhealthy, then that's a big problem. 
Brooks says that, that we need to return to being able to do some basic small things. Like what? Disagreeing without poisoning the relationship? Revealing vulnerability at the appropriate pace? Being a good active listener? Knowing how to end the conversation gracefully? Knowing how to ask for and offer forgiveness? Knowing how to let someone down without breaking their heart? Knowing how to sit with someone who is suffering? Knowing how to host a gathering where everybody feels embraced? Knowing how to see things from another point of view? You see, a lot of these things are missing in our culture. And most religious traditions teach these practices. But as our society has become much more secular, many of our young people are not learning these traits. Now in the book, he actually names some of the things that, that keep us from being able to fully connect with each other. He says there's egotism. Many people are too self-centered, self-focused to connect with other people. There's anxiety. Some of us have so much noise going on in our heads that we can't focus. There's naive realism. The idea that everybody else has to see the world the exact same way that we do, but everybody's story is unique. The lesser minds problem, an idea that I am more intelligent and sophisticated than you, so I don't have time for you. That mindset has played a big role in American politics, by the way. Objectivism, where we label everybody according to their group. They're shallow, they are selfish, they are rich, poor, liberal, conservative, etc. And then what he calls the static mindset. You keep the same label for people their entire lives and you never recognize that they might grow or change or become different. These are just a couple of the reasons for why we don't form meaningful and healthy relationships with each other. So what's the answer? How do we better connect and improve the relationships that we have in our lives? Well, I come back to scripture, the Bible. There's a lot there. There's a lot in our reading this morning from Philippians chapter four. What does Paul say? Rejoice in the Lord always. You know, every day we have an opportunity to give thanks to God for the many blessings that we have. Every day we get to choose between saying, I have to do this to I get to do this. Gratitude is a way of being. It's not just something that we do every now and then. It's a state of mind that we should have all the time. And if we can develop this mindset, we will become less anxious, less fearful, and less cynical. But we must acknowledge our blessings that are right before us and not just always think about the things we wish we had. Life is a blessing. And every day brings new opportunities. So let's rejoice and be glad in it. Paul says, let your gentleness be known to everyone. You know, as an Enneagram 8, I have to work on gentleness because I have a strong personality. Some of you do too, by the way. Um, gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Gentleness means recognizing that we never know the pain another person might be dealing with. We, we don't know their circumstances. We don't know what they're going through. We don't know what they're dealing with. But we do know that we live in a culture where people are abrupt and angry and rude. And that's not the way that Christ calls us to act. Gentleness 
often means that we need to slow down and not try to do everything on our own. We need to build in time for margin and and rest, time to reflect, time to get out in nature, as Farrell said last week, time to reset, time to slow down. Paul says, do not worry about anything. Well, that's easier said than done. Feels like we have a lot to worry about, right? Our kids, our money, our health, our marriages. But Paul says, don't do that. Worrying doesn't accomplish anything because most of the things that we tend to worry about never actually happen. So maybe we shouldn't worry so much. Maybe we should recognize that, that, that lots of things are out of our control. And when we try to control the uncontrollable, it drives us absolutely crazy. And worry ruins the present. It keeps us from being in the moment, which is the only moment we have, by the way. Paul says, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, when was the last time that you had an honest conversation with God about the things that really bother you? When was the last time that you stopped and prayed, God, please help me with this situation? And then trusted that God would help you. It's hard to live a life of faith if you don't pray because you're never asking for help. You're never asking for strength. You're basically pretending like you can do it all on your own. You got it. And our culture tells us that we can do it all on our own, but we can't. So we should talk to God about our troubles, about our frustrations, about the things and the people that drive us crazy and then turn it over and let it go. And part of that prayer is, is, is also to give thanks. In other words, if your prayer to God is always give me, give me, give me, give me, help me, help me, help me, help me, please this, please that, then that's a problem. Be thankful and express your gratitude and then ask for help. You know, prayer is one of the greatest sources of strength that we have, but we don't tap into it enough. We don't utilize it nearly enough. Sometimes it's because we can't explain how it works. We don't have to explain how it works. We just know that it works. Lastly, Paul says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Are you at peace? Have you found peace? Do you want more peace? Do you live your life intentionally every week in a way that will bring about peace? Or are you rushed and hurried and always going here and there and never slowing down? Everybody here, I think, would say that they want more peace, especially the peace that passes understanding, especially the peace that can't be ripped away. I want more of it. So, so how do we do it? Well, rejoice in the Lord always. Be gentle with other people. Let your requests be made known to God. Be grateful. And we'll talk about gratitude a lot next Sunday. 
But the people who have found peace in life and in their hearts have learned to do these things. The people who have found peace, are, are, they're not always focused on what's wrong and what they don't have. They're thankful people. And, 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 and you know what? Being thankful is not just a thanksgiving thing, it's a way of living. Thanksgiving's a week and a half away, how about that? But let me close with this. All human beings want to be seen and heard and affirmed. All of us. So, what are you doing in your life to make that happen for others? Amen.